Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. There is no way to get around the fact that it's been a very heavy and traumatic week for Black people around the globe. I've spent the week reading, listening, and reaching out so that I can be better informed and a better ally. I have some great interviews lined up for next week that will focus specifically on Black Lives Matter. I would be remiss, though, if I didn't acknowledge that it is also Pride Month, and I remain committed to being an ally to the LGBTQ community as well. So this week, I'm going to step back from producing a full show while I continue to do some work behind the scenes and replay three of my favorite segments this year that I think are worth another listen, plus two new ones. My first guest is Amanda and her wife, Zoe. Amanda wrote the amazing book, Love Lives Here, which is the raw, true, and inspiring story about her daughter and wife, who both came out as trans, and how their family not only survived, but thrived. It's a story we all need to hear this week, if only to remind us that love always wins. I'm not a religious person, but I definitely respect those that live and love with the true spirit of their religious doctrine, and don't use it as an excuse to hate or as a prop, as we saw Donald Trump do this week. I hate even mentioning that man's name. So the next interview is with Reverend Daniel Barretton, who is an openly gay priest in the Anglican Church of Canada and leads his flock with love. It's a great interview. I'm sure you'll love that. We are all longing for travel. And just before this pandemic hit us, I had Heather Greenwood Davis, the globe-trotting mama herself, join me to discuss travel trends for 2020. Those have been temporarily shelved, but as things slowly start to reopen and we start to make new plans, it felt like a good time to revisit her interview. New this week, dating during COVID is complicated, and people are finding they are kicking things old school and actually getting to know a person instead of just hooking up. Whoa. Deborah Mecklinger from Walk the Talk Coaching joins me to discuss how to navigate courtship from a distance. And finally, Anne Brody shares part of her interview with RJ Cutler, the man behind the very moving new Apple Plus TV series, Dear. And some more can't miss entertainment for this week's Saturday Night at the Movies. Thanks for joining me this week. Let's jump into what she said right now on 105.9 The Region. Ladies, nasty boys, I don't mean a thing, girl. Oh, you nasty boys. At Paramount Fine Foods, we are taking care to make everyone safe. Our mouth-watering Middle Eastern menu is available through Safe for All Delivery or Curbside Pickup. Order through your favorite delivery service or online for contactless pickup. These difficult times have called on us all to make sacrifices, but doing it without the fresh and authentic cuisine of Paramount is not one of them. Check out our Dare to Care menu, our 50% discount for frontline workers, or our $20 barbecue chicken family meal deal. Go to ParamountFineFoods.com and eat delicious today. Chef Julian Panzer here of The Chef Upstairs. Cooking is an important part of life, bringing people closer together and maintaining healthy eating habits. The Chef Upstairs is offering a virtual cooking experience, cooking classes for all ages and a variety of cuisines led by a professional chef and all from the comfort and safety of your own home. Check out thechefupstairs.com and elevate your cooking experience now. This is 105.9 The Region.
Amanda Jete Knox is an award-winning writer, human rights advocate, and public speaker. She is the recipient of the 2014 Joan Gullen Journalism Award for Media Excellence in Small Print. Her work and her family's journey so far has been featured on CBC, The Globe and Mail, Chatelaine, Upworthy, BuzzFeed, Us Weekly, Up Rocks, Ottawa Family Living, The Today Show, and various other national and international publications, podcasts, and media outlets. She also continues to write for her blog, The Maven of Mayhem, which is where you first came to my attention in what feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, So for those of us who are joining us at home, Amanda and her wife Zoe are joining us in studio today, and I am thrilled to have you here as my first guests on What She Said. Hi! (laughs) I'm thrilled to be here. This is so odd to me to have you sitting here. It it is. Yeah, because just think about I, I think maybe I met you about eight years ago. I think it was that long ago. Yeah. Right. So I've sort of been following along in this journey. So for those of, at home who don't know, um, I'm going to let you and Zoe sort of catch everybody up to speed where we're at. So let's start with your daughter. Okay. So in uh, 2014, early 2014, someone had said, hey, Amanda, what does your family look like? I would have said, oh, well, we're a mom and a dad and three boys, because that is what we put out there to the world. That's what I thought was the makeup of our family. Um, Early in 2014, we got an email from our middle child, who was 11 at the time, and it said, please try to understand, please don't be mad, and went on to essentially tell us that she is transgender. So um, she was trying to tell us that when she was born, the doctors looked at her, we all looked at her, and it was declared that she was a boy, but she wasn't a boy. And this whole time she had been struggling with that and just didn't have the words for it. So that was the first sort of experience in our family of a change like that, a transition, um, and and uh, sort of upsetting the norm that I had this idea that we had, right? Right. So the foundation beneath you was rocked a little bit. Uh, But you guys rose to the occasion amazing because I remember you at the time um, sharing this story and it it was just beautiful how you both reacted. And and I think that's – that should be held up for all parents. Well, I think that unconditional love should be unconditional. So um, I remember that night so well, we we sort of looked at each other and and thought, you know, what are we going to do? And the answer was so simple. And that was just go into her room and tell her that we love her and that we'll figure the rest out later. Right. Perfect. Perfect. So Zoe, for you, what did that moment do for you? It terrified me mostly because I'd known for a long time that I was in the same situation. But I, unlike Alexis, had never had the courage to tell anybody when I was her age. Right. And didn't really have the words to do that until I was much older. Um, because, you know, at that time, there, there was no Google or anything. To right. Just look that up, right? So you couldn't just go online and say, why do I feel like a girl? You know, and um, right. and find the answers. But for me, that was also a bit of an awakening. And, you know, over the next year and a half, as I, I watched her start to come into being her true self, it was too much for me to keep going. Right. So, so I also at, came So what, that was in 2015. 2015. It was about so, 18 months later. <laughs> so again, 
world shook, right? Right. World shook, I think, in, in an even bigger way. A much bigger way. Because, you know, that's our relationship. And right. we had been together for 22 years or so. We had been married for 18 at that point. We had kids together. We had a life together. And, um, and so finding out that... The person I married had been keeping something that big was was hard at first, and, and it wasn't like I, you know, it wasn't really like a feeling of betrayal so much as a shock. Like I was, right. and, and fear. There was so much fear so much for both fear. of us. Yeah, like there was a lot of fear in in my coming out that wasn't there for Alexis because I had this whole life built up that was going to right. explode. Right. Right. Um, you don't realize how many places your name appears until you transition. Yeah. And, you know, the, just thinking of all those documents, all those places where your identity is. You know, I never really thought of daunting. that. It's funny. You know, I've never, like I'm so I'm, I'm I'm currently going through a separation and a divorce and, you know, 18 months into this journey. And I'm still finding my old married name in mm-hmm. places that shock me. So it's true. I, I, I totally see what you're saying now. That's that, exactly it. Right? Yeah. You're just going, oh, great. <laughs> Another place I need to change this, yeah. And then there's the whole discrimination factor, right? right? I mean, while technically you can't get fired for being trans or LGBTQ or, you know, anything of the sort, um, you know, there can be workplace upsets. There can be, you know, people who aren't as kind to you anymore. The, the, the environment can get less comfortable. She's the major breadwinner in our family. And what does that look like, right? Yeah. I mean, there were just so many things. And I had been living with somebody who had been chronically unhappy for years and years mm-hmm. and years. And, you know, was coming out going to change that? Or was it just going to be harder for her and for us? Right. Exactly. I mean, I was terrified that I would lose my job, that we would lose right. the house, that our kids would not have anywhere to live or anything to eat, yeah. um, you know, that I would never be able to find another job, for example. Right. right. Um, and now I do recall, though, that your your work uh, rose to the occasion. They certainly did. Yeah. yeah. So my team in particular and a couple of people on that team, um, and I won't embarrass them by giving names, but <laughs> uh, they organized a really beautiful coming back to work thing for me after I first came out. And so I sent a big email to everyone and said, you know, hey, this is the scoop and I'm going to take some time off. And when I come back, you know, I, I will be Zoe. Right. right. And um, and they really rose to the occasion. And when I got back, my whole, you know, desk and cubicle and everything was decorated with like rainbow butterfly streamers. And, and, I, I uh, mean, that story was, was oh, so heartwarming and made me so proud of my community. That was just I, wonderful. Was fantastic. So, um Amanda, you've become sort of a, a, well, not sort of, you have become a huge advocate for trans people the world over. And I know from following you on every social account that this is absolutely tireless work. So let's start with the end, because I like to do this a lot when I'm problem solving. Tell me what the world looks like when you finally turn to Zoe and say, "Um, yeah, I need to get a new job. Like, my work here is done. (laughs) Everything's dried up. (laughs) There's no business anymore. Exactly. (laughs) Nothing to tweet about. What Um, does the world look like for you? It looks like nobody cares anymore right? right i mean the 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 reason why we are um, the reason why I'm so busy and our family is so busy is because people want to know about this. Um, you know, they this is new information to them. They don't really understand what transition looks like. They don't really understand the concept of trans people. Um, they don't really understand how our family could have survived and thrived in right. this situation. So to me, it basically means that I have now made myself completely irrelevant and, and I need to go and, you know, make coffee or something, open a little coffee shop somewhere. Right. Serve some butter tarts, right? (laughs) 
I'm in on the butter turds. Totally there. Uh, so, okay, so that that's the end result. Then what are the steps we need to start taking to get us there? Normalization is a big part of it, I think. Right. And, and that's kind of the quiet activism that I do more than what she does. So Amanda does the really in-your-face right. educational activism type stuff, which is really super important. Yeah. Uh, and what I do is more just kind of the living my life and being very visible doing it activism. And Yeah, it's funny you were talking about that because I remember one time Amanda said, you know, if you want to, you know, if you want to normalize trans people, you know, go follow a bunch of them, uh, you know, exactly on Twitter. And, and I did that. And so now, you know, I, I think I just immediately just went through and, and just clicked on like, you know, 100 names. To, to put them in my feed. And, and what I found is that, like, they're all just sharing pictures of their lunch, too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Like, my feed is all what I made for dinner. Here's some cat pictures. Yeah. Uh, I saw this very cool pineapple growing out there. Exactly, in the lobby, you know. Right? So. And it has completely normalized that in my feed, right? Uh, so I think that is a, that's a really good point is on social media is to include that sort of in what you're consuming um, right. through through books and, and social media and on TV and film. Um so I look at my life sometimes and I think that I'm overwhelmed and then I and then I go to your timeline and uh, <laughs> and I think no no I I'm good I'm good I didn't receive a single death threat today <laughs> right? right right that's and a I'm, bonus and I am not la- like I'm serious I don't know how you manage all the hate thrown your way so how how do you manage this um, honestly, it's going to sound really cheesy, but love. I, I have an amazing partner. Right. I have wonderful kids. I have great friends. Yeah. Um, I have a doctor who understands that I have an anxiety disorder and treats me, uh, you know, well. And I, you know, I go to the gym, a lot of self-care and just breaks because it is really hard. Um, it, I, I get enough threats that I actually have to assess them myself and decide whether or not it's going, you know, it's worth going to file a police report, which I've done a few right. times, but, but, you know, I don't want to overuse that either. And right. it's, you know, it's, it's such a tough thing, right? People get really reactive online. And I think when the threats stop coming in and the name calling and the insults and filling my inbox day in and day out with this awful stuff, you know, and, and my family, you know, it's not just, it's not just me and whatever I get, I mean, trans people, who are really visible are getting it 10 times worse, right? right? So I think um, it's just a matter of having your community and um, and and knowing that um, loud voices get noticed, but also create change. So I try to use that as a, as a way to keep pushing forward. Right. And that's absolutely true. You know, that is how you create change is just slowly and just one step at a time and through the quiet activism and the very in-your-face activism. So it's, it's a beautiful partnership. Um, so where can people go to get your book? Well, you can get my book just about anywhere. Right. Um, it was featured very prominently by Chapters Indigo this year. Thank you, Chapters Indigo. They they really they really loved it. And, and you um, just landed on the CBC Canada long- Reads, a long list Canada Reads, yeah, which is amazing for 2020. Thank you. Yeah, that was a bit of a shock. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so you can you can get it at uh, just about any bookstore, your okay. local indie bookstore, your bigger bookstore, just about, and you can order it online. Okay. And so you, people can also find your writing online at the Maven of Mayhem. You're still writing there? Yep. I am still writing there when I am not doing other things. Right. So, um, yeah, you can find me on there at amandajetaynox.com or themavenofmayhem.com. Um, on Twitter at, at Maven of Mayhem. Facebook is the same. And you just have to put some underscores between Maven of Mayhem on Instagram to find me there. And so, uh, finally, I you know I know that just from following you that a lot of people um, have read your book and 
and have heard you speak who who are trans and have not come out yet and are, are you know so if there's someone listening right now um, who's afraid to come out where where should they turn who should be the sort of the first place they they turn to um I would think probably find some trans people online and talk to them. Find somebody you trust and talk to them. I think Zoe's probably a good person to help me on this one. Well, I certainly get a number of those people myself, you right. know, sliding into my DMs and right. things like that. Um, and I usually, uh, if I have time, I certainly will answer those. I think there's also a lot of great resources out there. There's right. a lot of online groups. Um, okay. There are, in pretty much every major community, there are some resources, like here in Toronto, there's the 519, for example, that has okay, a transition excellent. support program. Um, so I think, you know, those resources are there and they can be found, but connect with the community. Okay. That's the best. Amazing. Okay. Thank you for joining us on what she said. Thanks for having us. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Robin Road here, and this week's care package is from the people whose first order of business is caring. Well, of course, that's the 105.9 team, but I'm speaking about the Toronto Zoo. The Toronto Zoo provides world-class care to the animals in their charge, and they're committed to ensuring the preservation of species. In celebration of the birth of baby long legs, the beautiful little giraffe, they put together a celebratory package including a baby long legs plush animal, zoo gear, and things to delight the giraffe or animal lover in your family, valued at over $200. So, if your heart is moved by newborns or animals, this package from the Toronto Zoo is for you. To enter, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, tag a friend, and you are eligible for the delivery of a Toronto Zoo Baby Long Lakes package. Contest closes June 11th. Yeah, 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 what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Jesus, justice, and a side of jazz hands. Joining me now in studio is Reverend Daniel Barretton, who is a gay Anglican priest and is actively involved in advocating for the equality of the LGBTQ community and their marriages within the Canadian church. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I found you on Twitter, mm -hmm. of all places. Where most people find me these days. And I absolutely... <laughs> That's where my husband has to look to find me, actually. <laughs> I, thought, I fell in love with your tweets. I thought, I have to have you on the show because I want to know more. Uh, so you are currently uh, the incumbent of the parish of St. John the Baptist in Mississauga. Correct. Okay. So tell me, what is the official stance of the Anglican Church right now when it comes to gay marriage? Uh, it, it depends on the diocese you're in. Um, so uh, nationally, the church had a vote uh, this past year uh, whether they were going to, um, because marriage falls under the jurisdiction of the national church, uh, and whether they were going to change the definition of marriage from one man, one woman. Uh, it did not pass uh, because uh, uh, there weren't enough bishops in favor of it. So uh, nationally, the, me the message went out from the national church that Anglicans reject same-sex marriage marriage. But the reality is, is the majority of, of clergy and congregations within the Anglican Church of Canada actually want to move towards some kind of acceptance and and allowing for, for marriages of gay people. So right now, uh, bishops within individual dioceses have the right to sort of make those choices and how they're going to do that. So it will differ from church to church? Or uh, I would say sort of 
region to region. But but yes, I mean, individual congreg- some individual congregations will be more open than others. Right. Um, so it's, it's really hard to sort of say what is the stance of the church because it kind of depends on where you are, who you're talking to. But overall, the church is moving towards the ex- some kind of acceptance of, of same-sex marriage. Okay, so you were ordained 22 years ago, yes, which would have still been quite a tense time to be uh, to be gay, openly mm-hmm. gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you always openly gay uh, within the church, or uh, n- no? I came out in seminary um, when I was uh, studying to to get ordained. Um, I found a lot of support uh, amongst my um, my colleagues, my uh, other students and professors and and people within the church. Um, but at the time, I, I, the church was not openly accepting and I, I wasn't expecting it to become so, at least not in my lifetime. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thought the best I could do is find a church where, you know, I it's a don't ask, don't tell situation. Um, they'll know, but they won't ask and I'll know they know, but I won't tell and we'll all just agree not to talk about it. <laughs> And the church has thankfully decided to talk about it. Right. And yeah. so you, in your church in particular, mm-hmm. uh, you were married mm-hmm. and then you came out to your congregation. Uh, congregation. Yeah. So yeah. what was that like? Um, it was it was difficult. Uh, it, I, what surprised me at the time was how, how scary it was to come out because I, I thought of myself as someone who was already out and I'd done, you know, what I've realized, and I think most gay people realize this is you don't come out once you, you it's a constant you're constantly coming out and every time you think you're out there's you have to come out again and um and you know the majority of the people in the congregation were either supportive or were willing to kind of keep walking with me and see how they felt about this um uh some people left um uh some people uh, there's still people there that that love me and love and love my husband and get along with us well but i know that they still struggle with um you know, everything from we just think it's wrong to we think it's fine, but you, we shouldn't call your relationship marriage. It's something different. So there's a whole diversity of opinions there, but but the community continues to, to travel together. And you're open to discussing those questions with them though, right? If they come to you with these questions? Yes, yeah. And I think that's the only way to move people on, on their feelings about that is if they feel that they can actually talk to a person and get to know the life behind the issue so that it's not just, it doesn't remain just an, uh, an academic or theological issue. You're talking about people. Right. So you're, you have a huge social media following, though. Mm-hmm. You have 41,000 followers on Twitter. So how does... 40.4. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping for 41,000. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to get you... Everybody go follow. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm not paying any attention to my numbers. <laughs> well, you have more followers than me. <laughs> well, let's change that, Twitter. If you follow me at Rev Daniel, please follow Candace. <laughs> so how do you reconcile... Church Daniel mm. with Twitter Daniel because mm. you seem on Twitter um, very open about your life. Mm-hmm. You're you're fun. You're a little bit goofy. Mm-hmm. You're very serious sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, the, um, it seems like Twitter is sort of all of Daniel, mm-hmm. and uh, then I feel like your Church Daniel must be very uh, more a little more proper, maybe a little more reserved. Is that true, or am I imagining this? It, if my congregation is listening to this right now, they're laughing hysterically because no, I'm not. There's nothing proper about me right. at my church. I mean, I, I think you you have to know what the bound like what the the boundaries are, and and you know there is an expectation of me as the leader and as the priest. Um, so you know, I, I wouldn't say that I don't. 
I don't filter things, but I try to be my authentic self, whether I'm in, in church or on Twitter. So you get the same person. I, I tw on Twitter, I can talk about whatever I want. In church, it's more, you know, what are the readings about today? What is my sermon about? What is this, you know, who am I actually speaking to? Because I think you have to know your audience. And the fact of the matter is, is that most of my congregation isn't on Twitter. So those aren't the people I'm talking to there. So on Twitter, you, um, you're still speaking about Jesus and the Bible, but you are, you're drawing you're drawing an audience in that wants to know maybe they're gay and they are yep. not finding acceptance in their church. Yep. So you must deal with a lot of uh, private messages from people with yeah. questions. Yeah. So does that take up a lot of your time? Uh, it does. And I've had to I've had to learn what what my boundaries are there because you know you you can get overwhelmed and and I you know, I, I'm somebody that I want to help somebody, and and it, it kills me if if I know that someone has reached out and and they're they're suffering in some way or they have a question, and I haven't gotten back to them. You know, um, it's you know sometimes a week before I get back to them, and it and every night I go to bed thinking that person is waiting for me to get back to them. Um, so I do make time to try and get back to people and help as I can. But yeah, I mean, the the larger your following gets, the more people have access to you, and it it can be emotionally draining and psychologically overwhelming to have right, so many people. Suddenly you've gone from tending to a flock in a building yeah. to tending to a flock yeah. all over the globe, really. Yeah, and, and you don't have the same kind of relationship with right. those people, right? You only know certain things about them. Um, so it, it's a different kind of relationship, but I've I've learned that, you know, when people sort of say online isn't real community, I've learned that that's not true. It's not true. It isn't. It, it's different, mm -hmm. um, but it is real community. And for some people, it's it's the only community they have or the only way that they can access people to talk about certain things. And thank God that it exists. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I no mean... No pun I, intended. No pun intended. <laughs> well, you know, maybe it's not a pun, you know? Maybe that's part of the grand plan. I don't know. God's up there with a Twitter yeah, account. Exactly. God does have a Twitter account, but I don't think it's, you know... <laughs> I follow several accounts for, for Jesus. I don't know. Oh, but you, uh, but you don't follow God? Uh I'm going to share later with okay, you. Okay, yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> you have to tell me where God's Twitter account is. Well, how ironic is that? <laughs> so I guess, you know, you've got all these followers on Twitter. You must deal with a lot of hate being thrown at you as well. Yes. Because trolls, as much of the, as, as Twitter creates a community, mm -hmm. uh -huh. it also tends to draw in a lot of trolls. So yes. do you spend a lot of your time blocking, um, reporting? Um, I, I do, I do more now. I, I used to, and I think this is, you know, this was the Christian, like, oh, I need to, I need to love my enemies. I need to reach out and see if we can build a bridge. <laughs> and, and what you realize is a lot of the trolls, they're not interested in that. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. if they were, they wouldn't be starting off with a tweet that's full of hate. Um, and, and so that's not, that's not where I want to direct my energy. Um, I have had, those experiences where someone comes at me with something quite negative and then we're able to have a conversation and it actually goes somewhere. Um, but those are few and far between. I, I just think it's better to just block and not have to deal with that kind of toxicity. Yeah. Because I mean, it's not just me. It's also the people following me that see that. And if they're already feeling that kind of hate, they don't need to see more of it. It raises the, the level of anxiety. Yeah. And it also creates that, you know, we're, we're human. So, you know, when you see, you know, like if I see Kim Kardashian fighting with somebody on Twitter, I immediately <laughs> go, see who is Kim beefing with right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? so yeah. you know you create that everybody's eyes on it so yeah. you don't want to do that in this instance right yeah okay so um I always joke that I tell people at the end of every segment where to follow me on social media so right. do you do that at the end of a sermon 
Uh, Go follow me on Twitter. Uh, the, most of my congregation is on social media, so it'd be, it'd be useless. But uh, I'm happy to share that with your okay, followers. Okay, so we're going to tell my followers. If they want to follow you on Twitter, where do they follow you? At Rev Daniel. Okay, and if they want to follow you on Instagram? Daniel D. Brereton. And you have the best Dolly Parton challenge up on your Instagram feed, by the way. Well, there you go. My then. favorite, favorite picture. <laughs> was That was the best thing to see last night before we came in for this interview. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure Nobody meeting you. Nobody calling on the Except for the Pope may be in Rome. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. At the Story of Love in Aurora, we pride ourselves on providing a unique boutique experience that delivers the best customer service to new and longtime clients. Not only do we create beautiful gift ideas for you from around the world, we create our own jewelry pieces too. Whether it is a stylish handbag, scarf, or a journal, we have a deep understanding of pattern, color, and design, and will assure that you'll find something that makes you feel extraordinarily beautiful. Shop safely, shop the Story of Love at 2 Orchard Heights Boulevard, Unit 3, or shop online at the story of love.ca. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. We need a holiday. If we took a holiday. Heather Greenwood Davis is a contributing editor and on-air storyteller for the National Geographic Travel, a feature writer for The Globe and Mail, the resident travel expert on CTV. I mean, the accolades just go on and on, Heather. Yawn, I know. <laughs> You are literally a travel expert. Wow. Uh, so uh, I invited you on, let's see, January, I think we tried, right? We started? Yeah, this yeah. is true. I said, let's come on and talk about travel trends for 2020. Yes. And um, and lo and behold, what happened? <laughs> lo and behold, COVID-19 has flipped the table. Right. What a game changer, right? So oh, It has totally thrown everything uh, up for grabs. Everything is up for grabs now. Right. So what do you think is going to happen sort of in the short term with this COVID-19? What are we going to see? Well, I think there's going to be a slight and I don't know. I mean, really, because it's travel is such a personal decision and people some people are opting to stay home and some people are opting to, to keep going. Um, there are some countries that are making that decision for you. Right. Um, like as Italy. We've seen, right. Yeah, in the short term. But I, I am a big believer in travel and in its importance and in tourism. And so I'm really optimistic that it's all going to settle down eventually. Right. I mean, I think, you know, obviously, I mean, the reasoning behind it is to slow down the spread of this of so course. that we're not straining our hospitals and so on. Uh, but I mean, odds are you, you most people will get coronavirus and be just fine. This is going to make its way around the world at some point. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I keep saying to people like, you know, listen to the medical professionals. Like this is the one time when I'm saying, don't listen to my advice. My <laughs> advice means nothing. Yeah. Um, you want to listen to the who and you want to listen to, you know, your local public health and, and get a really good understanding of what you should be doing and all the hand washing and all of that great stuff. And if it's coming and you can't... Uh, we can't avoid, then it's coming. Right. So just live through it as best you can. Take it's a care comfort of level thing, right? Some people will be, be rushing out and other Absolutely. people are going to go, nope, not interested. Absolutely. I'm seeing that already, right? right. Some people going headstrong, you know, mm -hmm. and some not. And I've seen some photos of uh, airports that make it very tempting to go now. There's oh, nobody yeah. there. There's no line. You know, airplanes are uh, not quite so overcrowded. Airline security would be just, <laughs> just whip through that, right? Deals aplenty. Yes, yeah, So I, I understand the temptation. I definitely do. Okay, so let's talk about 
some of the other travel trends, though. Yeah. Um, so one of them is, you said, microcations, which right. is a little different than a staycation. Yes, yes, very different than a staycation. So a microcation is the idea that you're going to take a short trip, so say four days, um, but you are not willing to give up the bucket list destination. So you are going to go to South Africa and kayak with penguins or um, live your best life is the idea. And there are companies that have set out to focus on microcations. So you've got places like um, Exodus Edits, which is from Exodus Travels, and they um, have actually crafted these four to seven day trips that really get you, everything you need to do is done in that short period of time. It's it's quite crazy, but people seem to love it. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Okay. Uh, slow travel. So trains, yeah. layovers, and yeah. coupling destinations. What's a coupling <laughs> destination? Well, that's when you pair two destinations, Candace. Oh, silly right? me. And the okay. layovers actually feed into that. So you can gotcha. now, I just got back from Porto and Portugal, favorite place. <laughs> <laughs> and you can now, I know TAP Airlines offers where you can, if you were flying to Porto, you have to transfer in Lisbon on a tap flight. So, it also Portugal. So, you can actually extend your stay in Lisbon at no extra cost. I mean, you're going to pay for your hotel or what mm-hmm. have you, but you get those 5 days and then continue on your route to Porto. So that's an example of a coupling. Turkish Airlines has something like mm-hmm. that too where wherever you're flying if you pass through Istanbul, depending on whether you've got a business uh, seat or an economy seat, you can extend your stay for a night or two in Istanbul. Yeah, the girls and I did that through Iceland, but I didn't realize I was right. I didn't realize I well, was being a trendsetter. You were a coupling, so we're, we're coupling destinations <laughs> we did, because we did uh, Iceland and then we did uh, Paris. Right. So right. That, that's exactly the idea of it. Okay. And Amazing. so people are saying if I've only got a seven-day trip, right? but I want to see it all, I'm going to crowd it all together and, and make it happen. And you mentioned slow-travel trains. So there's also the Copper the Copper Canyon El, El Chepe. Have you yeah. done that? No, I haven't done that one. So I've seen some, some of the footage of that, and it just looks like an incredible yeah. journey over this massive canyon. There are a bunch of them that are out there. And I mean, that's an example of one that isn't too expensive, if I recall. But you can also go like all the way to super opulent. Oh, like, Rocky Mountaineer. Right, or Trans-Siberian, you know, rail type stuff where you're living the li- life of luxury and paying for the luxury. (laughs) Um, But that whole idea of slow travel, which is also tied into sustainability and the idea of should we be flying and Greta Mm -hmm. Thunberg and all of that sort of wraps into that as well. Okay. So lifestyle supported travel. So again, Mm -hmm. I think probably falls again into sustainable travel. Yep. Yeah. So it's the idea that you want to do when you're away the things that you would do when you're at home. So if you are reducing, reusing and recycling, then you expect that of your hotel. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've seen hotels for a while now who have been moving from, um, you know, individual little shampoos that we all then Mm -hmm. took home um, and put in drawers and never used. It was very strange um, to you know, good size bottles of shampoo in your room mm-hmm. or cream or what have you that you use in space. And the next person who comes through also uses yeah. that. One of the best things I saw was uh, the couples resorts in Jamaica. When you check in, they give you a water bottle that's yours for the week. Right. And so it's not a, not a bunch of disposable water bottles. It's right. something that you can take home with you. And then they just have water stations right. everywhere. And with flavored waters and all that. So it's just, it's so much more sustainable than exactly. a bunch of plastic water bottles. Exactly. Around. And I think if you are already doing that at home, like we used to have this idea that, you know, we did those things at home and then we went out in the world and mm-hmm. then it was a free for all. Suddenly you were plastic water bottling it up right. <laughs> all over the place, even though it's something you would have never done at home. So that's changing. And you're actually taking that on the road. Vegans are also impacting things. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something like 30 million vegans mm-hmm. in Canada. Um, and they are impacting when they travel. They want, you know, 
vegan hotels, and mm-hmm. they want to make sure that their um, everything from the decor of their room to what they're eating in the restaurant fits into their lifestyle. So we're just seeing more of those kinds of things. Okay. So you also have Indigenous Respect. Yeah. So tell me about that. Timely. Mm-hmm. So yes, the Indigenous Tourism Association is here in Canada, and they actually have... Um, coordinated a bunch of different activities and outings that you can do in Canada that have, you know, the full okay of Indigenous people of our First Nations, which I think is really, really important. We've seen, if you look at things like Uluru in um, Australia, mm-hmm. where they asked people to stop climbing Uluru because they said, this is our sacred site, please stop climbing. And for years, nobody listened to them. Right. And then just recently, I think it was only a year or so ago, maybe two, um, they put a ban on it. You can no longer climb it. And instead, what you can do is go to this area, uh, take a tour with an indigenous group, and they'll explain to you why it's important, why they don't want people climbing it, but what else is in the area that you can see and do. So I'm seeing a lot of things um, like that, where you can go to an area and actually show some respect to the people whose land it is or whose uh, country it is and um, experience it that way. Another great one is Sea Wolf Adventures. They're out in BC and they are a personal favorite. I went out with them. They're in northern BC and, and we went out and, um, you know, it was ostensibly to do whale watching and, and look for bears. But we also went to the Umista Cultural Center, which is set on lands that were once a residential school. And you go in and you sort of learn that history and understand, you know, sort of what had happened with the potlatch ceremonies and how things, Mm -hmm. uh, art was stolen from them by the RCMP and Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. I think we need to do more of that, especially in this country. Yeah, it'll create a better understanding, I think, for us, especially. And we don't get it in school. No. Right? Nobody nobody taught. I didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's one of the great things about travel is that it can actually take you out there and teach you some things that you probably should have learned a long time ago. And even within our own country, right? Right. Exactly. So exactly. You don't have to go far. Yeah. And so one of your other things is you said back to agents. So yeah. we've discussed this and you're a bit, you're a big lover of travel agents. I am. Yeah. I am. Listen, I also love all the sites, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I do the kayaks and the uh, sky scanners and the hoppers and all mm-hmm. of those to, to try to find great deals. And I think if you're doing a very short trip, that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I think if you were doing anything that is semi-complicated, and I think we're going to see that now um, with the coronavirus, that mm-hmm. COVID-19 and what's going on there, I think you're going to see a lot of people who are turning to agents again because they want to make sure that they're protected as best as they can be. Yeah, um, and flights, I feel, might start to get a little complicated as because a lot of planes are grounded right now. Exactly. So trying to get to a destination might be a little more difficult than just, you know, that quick uh, direct flight yeah. we're used to. And you want sort of the insurance of a travel agent. They're going to be able to tell you what's covered and what's not covered on any trip you're booking with them. And I think you're going to need that. Plus, it's just, and I know this from my own experience of traveling the world, um, it was always great to have a travel agent I could call back to if we ran into a wrinkle, mm-hmm. right? So I think people are going to be, especially as we start, once we start to travel again, as mm-hmm. we have been, um, I think you're going to see a return to that. And do you think because of COVID-19, we're going to see a lot of people planning like just short road trips within Canada this year? Yeah. It's going to be a lot of that, right? Yeah, already. So local tourism is going to see, a, I think, a bit of a boon. Yeah. And yeah. actually, Canadian tr- tourism, I think the numbers just in were something like 22 million um, visitors last year to Canada for tourism. So I can tell you it's you're not settling by, oh, right. by exploring our country. We have a million things to do, and there are people who are flocking here to see them. So you're here, and maybe it's a little easier to access in the short term. So make the most of it. 
Okay. Thanks so much for joining me today, Heather. So uh, where can people find you on social if they want to follow along? I am at Heather GD on Instagram and at Greenwood Davis on Twitter and Globetrotting Mama everywhere else. Okay. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Joining me for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody, and we have a special treat this week, Anne. You have an interview with R.J. Cutler who is the director of Deer, correct? Yes. Okay, so let's play that first. RJ, first of all, I want to congratulate you on your tremendous body of work. Deer is, to my mind, the perfect thing for us to watch now during the the lockdown um, because it reminds us of this great need we have that humans have, I believe, to say thank you, to be grateful. So how did, what was the germ of the idea? Uh, it, it was along the, the, the germ of the idea was, was along those lines. I, I think that uh, gratitude is a very important theme to this. Uh, to me, the kind of theme I latched onto was that one person can change the world and that mm-hmm. through, through your, through your acts, through your, creations through your deeds uh you can you can change another life what we learn watching this series is that even for the most successful even for the most accomplished even for the most celebrated and rewarded um the 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 touching of a single life is a deeply profound thing oh isn't it and you see the faces of the subjects and they're they're taken aback quite literally i mean i'm sure people rush up to them in crowds and say Oh, you mean so much to me, but to get a, a handwritten letter somehow, what, why is that different? I, I'm not sure it is different, to be honest. I'm not, I think when public figures are in public and they're, if you describe a rushing up in a crowd, it's a, it's a difficult situation and there's security issues and there are those things. I'm not sure that the profound sense of satisfaction and gratitude that someone feels when presented with the 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 honest expression of gratitude and 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 the narrative of how one's life was changed through their work, I, I think that that that's going to move anybody. I really do, and I think you see that here. Of course, in when when written in a narrative, it's very powerful, and that has something to do with it. Uh, letter writing is a isn't it of itself a beautiful art, and and yeah. uh, and it's it's it's. Uh, it's exercised in this series at the highest level. I, I, you know, I, I guess I want to say I'm not sure a royalty check or uh, or another thousand followers on Twitter uh, would ever move Oprah or Lynn or any of the other subjects who you see so deeply moved in this series uh, as much as a single person telling the story of how their life was changed through through their work. Oh my goodness, so well stated. You have so like widespread access to these amazing individuals, some of the most uh, famous or revered in, in culture really nowadays. Um, and I wouldn't think it would be terribly easy to get some of them. So was the idea that appealing to them that, 
there was just no turning it down? Well, you know, we never ask people why they say yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we, the trick is to, is to get off the phone as close to the yes as, as you hear it. So uh, I try not to ask why. Okay, and so that's a great interview. If people want more, they can obviously go to the website to get the full uh, transcript of your interview with RJ. But where can we catch deer? It's on Apple TV Plus, And I must say, it's one of the most moving things I've seen this year. Uh, it's about well-known characters, well-known celebrities and influencers. Um, uh, Oprah, Big Bird, Gloria Steinem, Lin-Manuel. Um, oh, what's his name? Oh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, yeah. That's the fellow. That's the fellow. And Spike Lee I saw and as well. Spike Lee and so many more. And honest to God, what happens is the fans send them notes and they pick one fan's note, a person who was deeply affected by whatever this, this celebrity did. Um, in, the, in the case of Gloria Steinem, for instance, there's a woman of about 25 who writes to her. She's, she's young. She would never have known anything about Gloria Steinem had she not been introduced to her through her book. So, and then Steinem's reaction, these reactions kill. And Big Bird, you will love Of course, who doesn't love Big Bird? So we're going to catch that. It is starting this Saturday? That's right, yes. And I can, cannot recommend it highly enough. Dear dot, dot, dot. Excellent. Well, we could all use something to lift our spirits this week. And this will do it. Okay, excellent. So what else uh, is coming out? What can we not miss? Uh, do not miss Citizen Kid. Okay, so Friday was UN International um, uh, Environment Day. And there are three environmental documentaries that we have in my blog on the website. But I, I'm going to talk about the one with Hannah Alper, who's a Toronto girl. She became an activist at age uh, nine, if you can imagine. She's 17 now. She's done TED Talks. She's been on panels with Gloria Steinem. She is a youth movement leader. And she and three other Canadian young activists got together to do a documentary on what they're trying to teach kids their age, their peers, what they're trying to do for the environment. And it's called Citizen Kid, Earth Comes First, and it's on YTV. I am so inspired by this young girl. I had a great conversation with her. It's also on the site. It just gives you hope for the future, especially in light of what's been going on this, this week. I watched the trailer for 2040 uh, that you sent me. I thought it looked good. You think it's sort of mid? Well, it, it's okay. You know, it's not the strongest documentary I've ever seen. Executive produced by Leonardo DiCaprio and directed by Fisher Stevens. And it's about the green movement that's developing in the world of race car driving. Formula E. And it's, it's uh, really taking off. So we follow these um, drivers around a tour of the world. Ten international spots. City center races. And they're silent, so you don't have that thundering sound. They, they work solely on batteries. There's no fossil fuels involved. Um, it's called And We Go Green, obviously. Um, and it's really thrilling. And, of course, you get all the behind-the-scenes, the egos of these drivers, which is something else. Holy cats. So it's really fun, and it's on uh, VOD. We've got lots more coming up with you in the next few weeks. I'm sure there's a lot more entertainment coming our way. But you mentioned to me there was a new streaming service? 
It's sensational. It's called telescopefilm.com, free of charge. They have how many? T- 450,000 titles, for heaven's sakes. Amazing. World. Free, free, free. This is my what- favorite F word, free. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Anne, thank you so much for joining Thanks, me. Uh, you can find all of this and more on whatshesaidtalk.com. Have a great we weekend. Okay, bye bye. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Dating during COVID, could there be anything more awkward than getting to know somebody when physical distancing restrictions are in place? Joining me today is Deborah Mecklinger an experienced therapist and coach well-known for her work in the areas of individual, couple, and family therapy and divorce mediation. She is the founder of Walk the Talk, a professional coaching program that aims to provide consistency between actions and stated intention. Deborah, I am so glad to have you here today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for brightening my day. What a, what a crazy uh, world we found ourselves in, and I don't think that any of us uh, had any idea how many areas of our life this would affect, in particular for single people who are dating. Unprecedented times, the great adaptation. We need all kinds of new and creative ways to do just about everything, including dating crazy, right? Well, just before this hit, obviously, you know, all the apps were there, Tinder, Bumble, uh, Plenty of Fish, and it was sort of this instant hookup that we could have with people. Uh, You know, if you want to meet somebody within an hour, you could do that. Now, not so much. Right. Now we've gone... We've gone to, you know, a, a, a long-term courting process, in, we might call it. So uh, I think we've gone from no small talk to big talk. Yeah, and it's pretty heavy talk recently. So let's jump into sort of how we, how do we navigate this then with dating? I mean, those apps are still out there, so it's still possible to meet people. But now how Absolutely. do we proceed once we've connected with somebody? So, you know, I think that um, proceeding is redefined. And um, on the one hand, proceeding has kind of slowed down. And uh, uh, there's, I think each stage is a lot longer now and um, probably a little bit more intense. However, people are still moving forward. Just forward has has been redefined. There, I, I, I hear from my clients, texting is has slowed down and video chatting has sped up. And so one of the ways I think that people can move forward is moving from um, typing to, to talking with, you know, talk, even just talking on the phone. That's, that's the other piece that I think is a step forward. People are, are actually on the phone having conversations, which is a more intimate connection than, than texting. What I do hear from my clients is that uh, when you're texting, you can be multitasking. So people are texting on the app and they're doing a whole lot of other things. And you really have no idea, you know, um, whether somebody's texting to more than one person or, you know, 
on, you know, with their work or watching Netflix while they're texting. When you're talking, it's definitely a more intimate situation because you're present. So that's a step forward. Setting up times to actually engage in some kind of an activity or a, um, an, a date, that's become a really popular way of moving things forward. I, I imagine that, you know, when you're setting up a date, now it's very much who have you been around? Do you have any symptoms? Have you been, you traveled? I mean, there's got to be a whole sort of screening process that even happens right now. I think that people are moving slowly first with video dates. I think that that's become a thing. So even just sort of setting up a time to create more um, of a connection in a quote date-like way, but, but by video, whether that's, um, each preparing a dinner or sitting and having a meal together. Um, I'm hearing a lot about that. Um, choosing a show to watch and watching it together and connecting around a movie, a TV show, a series, um, online games, Zoom cocktails, video drinks. Um, so I think that people are first spending some time moving it forward still with, um, with, a big distance. So and what you're saying there to me sounds very much like an old school courtship where sort of that whole sexual side of it has been removed for a more um, intelligent connection, more of a soulful connection with somebody before you jump into that next stage. Yeah, it's forcing everybody to um, kind of go back in time a little bit. I, I really, I said to, to somebody recently, I think our grandparents are having a good laugh and anybody <laughs> who's been involved in an arranged marriage or is in the business of that, you know, it's, it's kind of old school. Um, and uh, so things are swinging. You know, what I have also noticed is that um, people need, are looking for and developing new ways to make judgments about how to move it forward and whether this is somebody that they feel safe moving it forward with because the context of environment has changed. You know, you're not meeting somebody in a context of an environment. So you need to have um, some new sensors and some new uh, ways to sort of assess out whether or not you want to take the step to move it forward and to actually get together um, really six feet apart instead of, you know, um, uh, from different locations. So I think that, you know, um, a lot of people at home right now, particularly single people, and because we have been in lockdown so long, there's this um, amplified feeling of loneliness and isolation. Mm -hmm. And how do we make sure that we're not pushing a relationship forward for the wrong reasons. Well, that's that's a great great uh, question, and and I think that um, it kind of always comes down to self awareness, like developing you know a really heightened sense of our own self awareness and um, and clarity around intention, and so that you're making mindful choices. So there's you know some some personal work that needs to be done to ensure that um, that you're choosing to move this forward and not just moving it forward to take care of um, some some needs that potentially won't that won't serve you when when you know when this is all over there's there's definitely i mean i think that you know choosing to be in a relationship because of loneliness um boredom 
um, that's chronic challenge that people face all the time. And it's certainly amplified to um, a great degree right now. The other thing, so I think that it's about really, you know, paying attention to why you're choosing to have the conversation with somebody or to get together. And, you know, is this scenario out of context? Would this be something that you would be interested in pursuing or spending time? The other thing that I think is kind of important, and I don't know that people think about it as as often, but dating during COVID can just be dating during COVID. It doesn't have to be the thing that leads to a long-term relationship. It can be experiential. And so I think that that's also um, something to embrace, that you can participate in the activity of dating and use that as a time to learn about yourself, to explore your own interests, to explore your own, um, you know, what you like, what you're interested in, somebody else. And if it turns out to be something that you want to take further when this is over, that's great. And if it turned out to be a wonderful experience or maybe just a learning learning curve or um, just, you know, maybe not even something that, that had positive elements, but you've grown because of it, that's okay too. It's That's an excellent just, I point. I really, I really love that point, that, that point. So if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? You can find me at, always at Deb at Walk the Talk Coaching. My website's walkthetalkcoaching.com and Instagram is at walkthetalkcoaching. Okay, and excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. That's it for What She Said for this week. Be sure to follow me on What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended interviews and complete shows. I hope you'll hop over this week to check it out as I have an interview with Renee Seiler, former CBS early morning show host, And we talk about why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. I'll be back next week with more What She Said. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.